rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. It's going to buzz. All right. All right. So, good morning, everybody. It is 10 o'clock a.m. It's Tuesday the 28th. Still a nice day outside. We have a great interview. Uh, for our listeners and our viewers, sir, let us know who you are and where you're from. My name is Keith Wheeler, and I am the state representative for the 50th District, and I live in Oswego. All right. All right. Thanks for coming to Aurora. Not, a far, Aurora. not a far drive. Well, not at all. A jump. I love Aurora. I yeah. grew up, you know, Aurora's been the center of the universe for kids in the suburbs at my way forever. So, okay. yeah, Aurora's where things are happening. Um, now, you grew up in Oswego? Yes. Okay, born and raised. Yes, sir. All right. Um, Actually born in Aurora. Okay. Oh, very cool. See? Um, now, how has Oswego changed from being young to from your days of your youth to now? So, yeah, when I was a little kid, um, my grandma has a, she passed away, but she had a farmhouse that we still have in the family that's right along Washington Street on the edge of town, what used to be the edge of town. And it was so quiet that we could literally be like doing stuff in the street and the cars would just kind of, oh, hi, Keith, say hi to your grandma for me and then drive around you and keep going. And now there's literally five lanes wide of traffic in front of that very same house right now. So it's changed tremendously. Uh, the growth has gone from 3,000 to 30, what, 6,000, I think it is now. Wow. Um, now, Oswego recently had a good number of, so VetFest happened Vet Fest in Oswego. Happened. That was really good. Four blocks from my house. Um, and then there's a new pavilion? Yes. That's what it is. Yeah, the mayor was very uh, uh, enthusiastic about putting something entertainment-related for families uh, kind of on the west side of town and take advantage of the park and ride that was built. It never really got used the way hope people had hoped it would be used. Okay. And uh, kind of made it multi-purpose now. So uh, they had the, the Air Force band was there, I think, on Friday night last week. Right. Uh, so they're, they're definitely putting more, uh, more cultural events into that area. And for us, it's great because uh, we can hear the concerts from our driveway. The Starlighters? Was that it, the name I of the band? Think that was... they're yeah, I'm not sure. Something I didn't get to like go to that. that but <laughs> I, I talked to the mayor on Sunday. He was very happy with how it turned out. So, All right. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, grew up in Oswego. Um, growing up, what impact did your mom have in your life? Oh, tremendous impact. I mean, um, so my parents split when I was seven. So, I lived that single mom uh, program back in the 70s when it was difficult. I mean, it, she did a great job of, of keeping us in line and uh, you know, encouraging us to, to be our best, to do our best. Uh, so I went after you know, everything I could in school for grades, for sports, uh, and she was so supportive and, uh, and corrected me when I was out of line, which moms should do. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so and I appreciate that now because as a parent, I look back to some of those uh, memories and you know, use those as you know, guideposts on how to handle my own children. All right. So what high school did you graduate from? I went to Oswego High School. Oswego High School. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, what is your post-high school education? I have a degree in, in economics from the Liberal Arts and Sciences College at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. All right. Um, now, take me to Keith Wheeler as a youngster. Are, were you the kid who was, uh, you know, reading Reader's Digest and taking in world events, or were you riding the bike rider? Where did the, where did we start coming into politics and, and oh, learning, learning about very interesting. Civics? Um, I, let me think about that for a second because I was kind of the, the kid who would go across the board there. You know, we had the, uh, we didn't have a lot of TV or electronics back then. That was kind of a, uh, you know, a, a hope or a wish. Uh, my family didn't. We, we didn't have a lot to to spend in that category, so we right. did things outside. I spent the entire summer at the pool, which is a couple blocks from my house in Boulder Hill, and uh, that was uh, a great source of friends and uh, social uh, life okay. at the time. And then uh, the political world, I guess, kind of evolved because we were so we we knew everybody back then, so we all knew who. You know the mayor of Oswego was. I mean, right. you have some of our county board members and 
you know, my parents were involved in some things that were uh, political right. by virtue of the fact that they went to high school with some of the people that were uh, holding office. So we kind of all knew each other, and right. it was a natural thing. And uh, a very a great friend of ours uh, named Bob Davidson, who just recently was on the county board in Kemmel County, he was the mayor of Yorkville when I was kind of coming through high school. So public service was something that I had, you know, maybe learned a little bit about from him and how to be passionate about it. And right. that was uh, another you know, milestone for me that, like, okay, if he can do that and he's successful and people respect the work he's doing and then he's leading, you know, I can learn from that. I can, you know, find my own path perhaps someday, right. but with no path in mind. It wasn't as though I seeked the idea that, oh, I'm going to drive my life toward holding a public office someday. It was kind of the other way around. What was your first job? My first job uh, was uh, for our family's excavating company, Oswego Excavating, okay. uh, which means I was like a, a laborer, errand runner, uh, do whatever it took at that moment to get something accomplished. One of those guys. Ah, right. Send it to Keith. Go for it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> He'll go get it. Yeah. So uh, there was that. And then I also, uh, when, you know, when the season ended, I, I, I took a job at McDonald's in New Yorkville. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I tried out that part of it. I, I liked the construction part better for it's me. It's blue collar. Oh, yeah. No, I grew up in, and I, so the, the laboring part of me uh, was, I did that for a long time, but going through college. So every year, every summer, every spring break, every Thanksgiving break, I went home and worked. Uh, I never took a spring break vacation to Florida. Uh, I still haven't, actually, at spring break time. All right. Uh, but that was part of my background, was to, to work hard, work with people that I respected. Um, do you feel that that gives you an, not an edge, but do you, do you feel that, that, that it gives you a, uh, a, a strength to be able to communicate with folks at, di at different levels, constituents and what have you? Absolutely. Absolutely, because those, those people are, the, are the, the heart and soul of the 50th district. They are uh, they're what make Illinois great, in my mind, are these hardworking people that support their families, that, that get up in the morning, uh, they don't complain, they go to work. Uh, if you're in the construction industry, at least in my world of it, it was outdoors a lot of the time, almost yes. all the time. Yeah. So you dealt with the weather, and you had to prepare for those things. And uh, it didn't matter if it was 94 or just 4. You had to go get As your job done. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, we, you learn how to overcome a lot of adversity with those things. Um, and sometimes, you know, things aren't as the plan says, and you got to figure out how to accommodate that and overcome those obstacles. And that's just a great part of life, and those people, they do that every day. Um, what, are, what is the 50th district? What's its boundaries? Okay, so on the north edge, it's the very western edge of St. Charles, going over into Campton Hills, and then kind of moving south, Around uh, you know Elburn and Sugar Grove on the west, and then Geneva, Batavia on the east into North Aurora, and then it kind of gets to a meandering line when you get into the Aurora part of my district, which is uh, part of the west side going around West Aurora High School. Okay, and then kind of wandering back out toward uh, Orchard Road and coming south into Montgomery, Oswego, uh, and just parts of those. Well, most of Montgomery, part of Oswego, most of Yorkville, and a small part of Plano, and circle back north to Got Sugar it. Grove. That's um, the gist of it. Now, there's part of, so it's Kane County, but there's also part of Kendall County? Yes, yeah, about two-thirds in Kane County and one-third in Kendall County. Okay, all right. Um, is, is, what's the difference between, or are you able to sense the difference between Kane County folks and Kendall County folks well, from your vantage point? To a degree. I mean, so the, the people... The constituents to me mm -hmm. are are very similar. They don't necessarily identify themselves by a county or even by a city. They're, sure. Um, yeah, I, I like to when I when I describe my district to people in Springfield, I tell them this: where farm ground meets suburbia. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and we have a little urban flavor in Aurora, which is great because I get to then work with everybody from the Farm Bureau to you know the second largest city in the state, right. and that to me is a, is a great cross section of Illinois. Okay. Um... How did you, like, what was the journey to becoming state representative? Okay, so, so I, after college, actually during college, I started uh, doing IT work. And then I formed a company that does IT services for companies, small companies primarily, smaller government agencies. And I built that after college. And then I got involved with some issues <clears throat> within government because sometimes government gets in the way 
of how we do business. You don't say. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's, it, it may be a standard of people, but that's a reality that I've uh, learned to face. Right. So I got involved with a group called NFIB. That's the National Federation of Independent Business. That's the largest small business advocacy organization in the country. Um, and there's about, I think, 11,000 member businesses in the state of Illinois. Uh, and as I got more active within what NFIB was doing, I was selected to be part of their leadership councils, like a board of directors. And then I went to Springfield and lobbied twice a year. And I learned that uh, I could advocate pretty well for positions regarding small business, but I also realized that maybe more small business flavor right in Springfield itself, representing the people on the floor. Uh-huh. So <clears throat> that kind of kindled a, a little spirit in me that uh, maybe I could participate, maybe I could help in that regard. And I ran for office uh, in 2010, didn't win. Uh, got a very good education on the process. Uh, and then in 2014, uh, ran again. Uh, this time was an open seat, wasn't running against an incumbent, which makes it uh, an easier playing field. Right. And won a four-way primary with you know three people that are all great candidates uh, besides me, and uh, we got in. So that's how I kind of, that's the short version of <laughs> point A to point B on that. But uh, it, was, it was quite a process. And uh, I want to say this about that. Um, I don't agree, and none of us agree, with everybody else's positions on everything. Sure. Um, but I respect everyone who is willing to put their name on a ballot. <clears throat> and what that puts your family through, and what that puts your own personal calendar and your efforts and even your uh, resources through. Because it's a it's a true commitment if you're going to actually give it a a, a real effort, and I respect everybody who who is willing to get in the arena that way. Um, when you know, as a a roar and as as a just a citizen, you to your point, you're right. People are passionate about their issue, so they're taking that time to. It, it is a big step to try to advocate for something. Um, and from the outside looking in, it seems like it can be daunting. It seems like a lot to it. Uh, so my question is, when you ran in 2010 and uh, did not win, what did that feel like and what did you learn? That was, uh, well, it was a hard pill to swallow because no one, no, no one runs to lose. Right. Um, I ran at that point more out of frustration with Springfield than I was running against a person in my local area. Okay. Um, so I, I felt like I was doing the right thing, maybe the wrong way at the wrong time. So, uh, but I learned a tremendous amount from it, and I respect the people that were on the ballot at that time. Um, I don't love everything that was said. No one's going to in this, but that's what's hard about this. It's it's uh, it's a challenge to know that when you take that step and you get turn those petitions in, that you're not your kind of fair game, and people can say things that. You know, may not be 100% accurate or even partially accurate, right. and that may uh, hurt the feelings of of your family, especially your spouse. I think that we we do the we, we need to take special care of our spouses when we go through these processes because they take it very personally and, and understand why they love you and they're supporting you and they want to protect you. Um, but you're in a situation where you're probably going to take a couple of arrows, and right. uh, yeah, you have to you have to be ready to and prepared. How to deal with that? Some thicker skin comes along with that part of it. Um, okay, so um, now you are in 2014 mm-hmm. when, you, uh, when you won, right? Um, what was the issue at the time, 2014, that that you wanted to solve? What was the workload, I guess, like, in, in, for lack of a better term? So, and it, there's it, still a great deal of what drives me. Um, I was asked very directly by um, a fellow office holder when I called him and said, I'm interested in running. He said, okay, I want to right now, what's your plan? And I just blurted out, I want to create more Illinois jobs for Illinois families. Our economy had come out of the, of the recession after the housing bubble burst. We were still very slow compared to our neighboring states and the rest of the country and our economic growth. We had news that Caterpillar was going to be leaving the Montgomery plant at some point in time. Right. So to my, in, 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 if, you, if I stand on the roof of my house, I can see the entire Montgomery plant. So I live, that's how close I live to it. I have high school friends, uh, classmates, who spent their careers working there. Right. 
my family, my mom's side moved to this area because my grandfather got a job in that plant and my aunt worked there as well. So I have some sentimental feelings that go along with the caterpillar plant that's there, but also knowing full well that, you know, thousands of my neighbors depend on the, you know, income and right. the stability of a job that comes from there was going to be leaving. So what do we do? What policies do we need to enact in Springfield that will give us an opportunity to revive that facility in another way, to give those families another shot without having to move, of being able to work in our area and support right. their families that way? So Illinois Jobs for Illinois Families was really the centerpiece of what we were trying to accomplish. And uh, Illinois makes that a challenge, and the dynamic makeup of the Springfield General Assembly can, you know, China heels and some of those things, but we, we worked hard and we've accomplished a couple of things that I'm very proud of actually. ILJA, Illinois General Assembly. I, yes, I know sir. that from looking online at the uh... <laughs> Yep, look at I go. Yeah, no, my number one bookmark. That <laughs> thing is that thing is a beast. It is as it's a uh boy, it's it's a quite a website. There's some funny stories to that too. Um I I saw I took a class and I saw on it that you are able to like witness slips and all of the stuff that's inside of there. So it's, it's you know, to a person who is not in the general. Oh, system, my gosh. If you want to participate it. from home, mm-hmm. there's really a tremendous amount of resources there to interact with the general assembly. Right. Not just the members via an email or a website, but rather, like you said, through witness slips, through there's ways to spy testimony via Zoom right now. Yeah. Um, and, and just follow the process live. I mean, in almost every committee hearing is – either done with audio or video. Um, so yeah, you can really participate as a constituent via the, that website in ways that were unthinkable, you know, 15 years ago. So you grew up on a farm or farmland was part of the... Farmland was part of the, of the family. So um, if you drive a little bit further south of us, we go, there's a Wheeler Road. Okay. Okay. So my, I think it's five times great-grandfather brought our family from Vermont to Illinois, and that's where we settled, 1846, awesome. I want to oh, believe man. it was. So, and, and there's a really interesting story that goes along with that because that grandfather's name was A.K. Wheeler, and I didn't realize uh, his background to the same degree. Once I ran for office in 2010, the, uh, the editor of our local newspaper in Oswego, he and my aunt served together on a board for the Oswego Heritage Association. Okay. And he reached out to my aunt, they're both history buffs, and said, did you realize that, you know, your great-great-great-grandfather, this is to my aunt, uh, served in the General Assembly in the same seat that Keith's running for? And we had no idea about that at the time, that, that AK had served one term uh, in the General Assembly. And I was like, gosh, I go, when I get to Springfield someday, I'm going to try and learn more about that. So uh, through a friend of a friend in Springfield, I met the uh, state archivist, I believe is his actual title, Dave Jones, great guy, uh, super passionate about all things Illinois history. Right, yeah. And has <laughs> access to resources that I just could never imagine. Um, so I, I understood him, and I actually introduced my aunt to him one day because I thought they'd, they'd hit it off because mm-hmm. they both loved the same kind of that period. And he sent me an email back, and he said, you know, we, we, we realized your, your great-great-great-great-grandfather only served one term in the house. Right. And he went on to be the postmaster back at home. Apparently, he didn't like the, <laughs> the drive to Springfield back in the 1850s probably wasn't the same as it is now. When you, right, yeah. It wasn't, you couldn't FaceTime the family when you got there. You know, you're gone yeah. for a while. Selfies along the way. Yeah, uh, yeah not yeah. happening, right? So, so what he told me was, he goes, if you look back in the journal for 1855, the only house journal, which is really... You know, very thick book. I actually have a copy of it uh, for the first, um, like, four months of the session. It goes through every single vote that happens. He goes, so, Keith, we look back in there, and the most exciting thing that happened in 1855 was uh, a vote that the General Assembly took as a whole. Um, Because back then, U.S. senators, they weren't elected by the people in a regular popular vote like we do now. They were elected by the General Assembly. Uh And it was the combination of both chambers. So we had the House and the Senate together, effectively taking these votes as a group. And he said, so in 1855, a gentleman named Abraham Lincoln was really looking to run and win a spot in the U.S. Senate. 
and he was the odds-on favorite at the outset of this campaign. So he said that, uh, well, I said, I'm like, oh, gosh, I hope you vote right, you know, kind of thing, because I don't know what he's going to tell me yeah. next. <laughs> and uh, he said it took 10 ballots that year to determine a U.S. senator from Illinois. And on the first eight ballots, uh, my great-great-great-grandfather was with Abraham Lincoln. I said, voting for Lincoln on the first eight. And there were like wow. maybe a dozen people, different people were on the, the ballot and had gotten votes throughout this process. And one of them was the current incumbent senator was part of that. Current governor was interested in running for U.S. Senate that year. Oh, wow. Um, a Supreme Court justice was also on the, and, and put his name in for this. Yeah. So there was quite a, of a, you know, and you got Abraham Lincoln. So who wasn't, he had been a legislator and a congressperson before, but not been a U.S. Senator, or clearly not the president yet. So, so it goes all through these first eight ballots, and I'm like, well, okay, what happened on the ninth one? Well, Wheeler switched his support from Abraham Lincoln to a gentleman named Lyman Trumbull. <clears throat> okay, Lyman Trumbull, I know that name. Okay, and on the tenth ballot, Lincoln pushed all of his support to Trumbull, and Trumbull won on that tenth ballot. So. I'm like, okay, so what what happened after that? You know, right. well, Trumbull uh, went on to uh, he actually changed his allegiance and became a Republican after that because he was ardently anti-slavery. Right, and then uh, Lincoln becomes president, 1861. He takes office. The war begins. We get to the part where <clears throat> the the movie Lincoln. If you've ever seen that movie Lincoln, where they they take up the 13th Amendment of the Constitution mm-hmm. when it goes to the House from the Senate. And that's what the movie is, okay? The prior before that, Lyman Trumbull was the author of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. So if you think about the context of what was happening there, the, the people that were involved in that race for U.S. Senate, two of them were among the very most important people in actually changing our Constitution and, and making you know, it permanent. That The only mention of slavery in that document is its you know, absolute abolition removal. Right. So, uh, the fact that somehow my five times great grandfather knew those gentlemen to me is just really fascinating, and that they supported from both of Aurora them to the, or from Oswego to the pages right. of history. <laughs> right. So, I know we, we, I would never have known that had I not gone to the legislature and found out. So, um, you know, my family's kind of you know proud of the fact that we actually learned something about our past that we would never have otherwise known. Right. And it was just literally a one term in the in the house that he got to do that with. So. I'm sought after by some of the guys at the Presidential Library Museum. Can you please look and see if any letters, because <laughs> it was known that Lincoln wrote a letter to every single person in the General Assembly that year asking for support ah, for that okay. particular run. And I'm like, I, I'd love to find that a. letter. A.K. Wheeler. So, yeah, just a little piece of family history that makes me proud and, and kind of keeps you like grounded in, in, uh, in the fact that, you know, these are interesting responsibilities to have, right. but they're important responsibilities. I think, uh, well, that's also good for people to hear about family and being involved because I think that a lot of people, we, we tend to believe that we are removed from the experience of our legislators and our politicians. Like, there seems to be a, a gulf between the us and the them. And I don't like that. You know, I, I, like, I like it to be, like, on the show. We try to let people... I tell people when the city council meetings are happening and what's going to be going on. And hey, here's the minutes. Because you should. You know, you should be involved. Right. Because when you are involved, you become more educated about things. I was given right. a copy of the Blue Book. Sure. It's fascinating to read all of the history in the Illinois, the Illinois Blue Book. Right. It's great. It's no, an it's, awesome it, book. It, it is. People will... Um... They've literally given me ones from before I got in office just so I could have any other context. Right. Hey, this might be helpful to you someday. And I keep them because yep. you just don't know. There's, now that information is all online. It's not all there. So this is a source of information that you can only get from some of those pieces. So I, good point there. Do um, you remember your first day in Springfield? Very much. Tell me about it. Didn't know where to park. <laughs> I had no idea where to park. Um, they, that day, they give you your parking assignment and okay. your secretary and your office assignment, all those things. So the, so the first day, um, well, technically the first day, you're, you're sworn in. But for the house, that happens off campus. That happens at the University of Illinois Springfield's auditorium. Um, because there's, you know, there's 118 of us, and we want to bring our families. Right. Um, so you have this huge auditorium, and 
And it's a lot of pomp and circumstance. And the mm-hmm. Secretary of State runs the House's process for that. And it's, it's done very nicely. Um, then, uh, but that's just a, a, you know, a kind of a ceremony. There's no other voting other than who's going to be the Speaker of the House that day. Right. And <laughs> uh, now that was different this time because we had the, the COVID situation. So we did it in a different location right. without family members there. But the first day in Springfield really was uh, just kind of getting to know people and find a way through it all. But the first day in the Capitol is what I'm thinking of. It's our first day when we're actually going to be on the floor and you're sitting at a desk with your name on it yeah. and a yes and a no and a present and a speak button, which is, you know, important for me because I want to be doing a lot of talking on the floor uh, for our caucus about a lot of different issues. Uh, so, but that was the, the first moment of gravity, you know, where, you know, it's okay. Real. All this stuff is real now and everything I do and say here is, you know, part of the record right. and part of my record. Uh, and I want to reflect well on my, my district. Uh, and my family. So, you know, it, it really, it, it, yeah, there's a, it's a big, tall chair, and you sink right into it that first day because you aren't used to it. And uh, the advice given is, you know, listen for the first year. Right. Don't jump up every time there's something that you want to say. Yeah. Pick and choose your time so that when you say something, people actually want to listen to it. Good advice. That's good life advice right there. Uh, <laughs> you can take That's, it if you want to. <laughs> Okay, um, so here, here's my next question. Sure. How has, in your opinion, how has the um, how has the political process changed since your early days, 2014, 15, 16, 17, to now? And um, you know, I. I I have never been to the state capitol before. Oh, I invite you to come. So if it's different from like the national level, you know, tell us what you what you think. Sure. I, I, I wish I knew about the national level, so I'm going to just kind of uh, put it in my context. I've been, I've been there. I've lobbied legislators in, in, the, in the U.S. Capitol several times, but not to the point where I understand the process from how it flows from the beginning when people are submitting bills to when you get to the finish line and, and a budget has to get done. Right. So in the early days for me, I came in. Uh, the same year that Ron was elected, okay. so he he took off. I think the day before I did. Governor's okay. a different Bruce schedule. Ronner, yeah. right. Bruce Ronner, right? So when Governor Ronner came in, um, there was a very short honeymoon, and then it got very uh, very divisive, and uh, that was that was a, a hard process to work through because I, it was my first process. Right. So all the infighting and the fact that it's not going to be a a budget. We're not going to really collaborate on anything. Um, my, I, what I, what I did was to try to be useful and helpful to people. Was I knew several of the Ronner appointees that were holding important posts with departments of agriculture or Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity or uh, you know, any of these important state government agencies. I was personal friends with many of the directors or with their chiefs of staff, so I could actually um, reach out and get an answer or try and find a way to to accommodate a constituent or a business in my district who was having trouble even though the, the state was kind of you know on pause for certain things because we didn't allocate money going forward to uh-huh. their budgets and other things so it was a complicated time we were trying to find a way through it um, and at the same time try and find a way to 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 strike a balance that would help my friends on the in, in the democratic leadership in the chambers uh, see a path forward with Governor Rauner to to accommodate what his goal was. He didn't want to raise income taxes without having some reforms that would kind of offset those um, those in tax increases. Right. And there was just a push back and forth. We never got to that part. I mean, I was I played a role in in trying to get there, um, but then things changed at the end and uh, of that process uh, before we got that finished, which I think was kind of a shame. I think we were pretty close to finishing a few important things. At the same time, um, once I got my feet underneath me, I could kind of see how to help on certain things where I had some expertise or I had some passion. So let's talk about that Illinois Jobs for Illinois Families concept. That was really my motivation and my passion. Um, The EDGE tax credit program had, due to this impasse, had effectively lapsed. It had sunsetted. And it didn't exist anymore, so people could not reply for these tax credits, which were hiring long-term job hiring tax credits. Right. So if you hire someone, then you get to, to get a tax credit for 
at that time all of their state income tax withheld. Right. Um, so the uh, at the time the chairman of the revenue committee came to me and our spokesman. Um, he knew that I was involved in that process, so I, not that I was the person he should have gone to first. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because he came to me on the floor and said, "What do you guys? If we do, if we redo Edge, what do you want?" And I just blurted out five things that were all changed to the Edge program that I thought would make it better, not only for the companies who are trying to hire people, but also for the state, as far as what we'd get out of the deal. Right. And uh, they took four of the five. I'm like, "Well, that's fantastic. Let's." Let's pass this right now. Yeah. Let's agree to that. Went back and forth with the governor's office. They wanted that fifth thing badly. I'm like, I tried this way. I tried that way. I reached out to people that knew Madigan better than I did. Reached people who knew, you know, uh, you know, Senate President better than I did, and just tried to help it along. And I, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm stymied here. Can't do it. So I called Theodore Dirk, and I'm like, they're going to pull this deal if we don't take it. And I think we, for the, for the sake of the people who'd be hired and their families. We need to take the deal. Right. And he said, I said, it's going to frustrate the governor's office. They're not going to be thrilled about this. But I think we should take the deal. And he said, Keith, use your best judgment. Remember, I'm only my second term at this point in time. So it's part of the process of coming out of the impasse and into what can we do. Right. And so I, I went to the, to the sponsor of the bill, the chairman of the revenue committee, and I said, yeah, let's do it. I said, I'll get, I'll get enough Republican votes to pass this thing right. with whatever you can bring. So we, got, we gave some glowing speeches about this, the changes to the program, how it was going to impact real people and their children and their neighborhoods and their communities. And it passed like 102 to 5, which was great. So, uh, and I got some, some grief from my friends in the governor's office about, hey, that wasn't what we asked for. And like, you know, we're doing the best we can. We veto it. And you have a role in this. They're not going to veto that. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, it was the right thing to do. Thousands of jobs come to Illinois using that new program. The uh, then Governor Rauner's reelection team used it as their number one economic development oh, course, victory. Right. <laughs> so at the same time, everybody got something out of that, whether they wanted it at the time or not. Yeah. But that was an example of how to work through that, in my opinion. Okay, it was still pretty divisive at the time, um, but we had to accomplish some things, um, and then. Later on, I got a chance with uh, another tax credit program that I designed based on the ideas from the Caterpillar shutdown okay. and the Butterball and Dial that were all really concerning to me because there were like 1,800 families are going to be impacted by those jobs missing, called the Blue Collar Jobs Act, right? which we actually passed in 2019. That's right. I recall that, yeah. Um, that's what I like. I like the... I like the sausage making of politics i like when you guys are working it out together and i like that i like that because a lot of people have different experiences and right. that's what they're talking about yes yeah the idea that, that it i mean what makes the news on at 10 o'clock at night in a 45 second segment where they're going to have three seconds from each side of actual you know uh what they said on the floor or they said on a microphone versus what happens when we're together, most of us very well for me, collaborative. Right. So I've I've managed to be appointed to several important spokesmanships for three different committees and standing committees in the House, which I think is more than anybody else's right now. And I'm also the co-chair of the most bipartisan committee in Springfield, and it's a bipartisan bicameral committee, the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules. Such an attractive title, <laughs> uh, but really, it's an oversight committee. It's really important. JCAR. J-Car. <laughs> J-Car is, uh, uh, Ben and I, spend, Ben's my district office director. If you call my office, that's who you're going to probably talk to first. Shout out to Ben. Shout out to Ben. <laughs> yes, yes. He does an amazing job, and we're grateful to have him. Uh, and he puts up with thousands of, of emails and phone calls from people all across the state, because J-Car affects the whole state, but not every state legislator gets to be on J-Car. So uh, the six of us from the House and the six from the Senate made up six Republicans and six Democrats. We get to work together. Right. And... Uh, being appointed to be the co-chair, that was a really big honor to me. I was literally going into my second term, and I got to have that appointment. And now I'm the, I guess this, I'm the senior person on JCAR. I think I'm all together now. So it's uh, a lot of responsibility, but it's a chance to really work well with people from all across the state, 
and from both sides of the aisle. If we wanted to change something, it takes eight of us, which means it has to be bipartisan. So we have to work together. And I appreciate that. Um, what's the coolest thing about being a state representative? Well, some folks would say it's the license plates. Some folks would say it's <laughs> the, uh, you, you get personalized plates. In the Senate, it's a district member. In the House, it's your seniority level. Um, that's just getting out of the Capitol grounds very easily, which is helpful. Um, but uh, for me, it's the fact that, that I get to work with everybody across my district. Um, and now that we have other responsibilities, people from across the state, and we learn so many different things about what our state is, who makes our state work, uh, and why they're so important for each other, and why we have to support each other uh, in a way that, you know, again, I love my district, and I think it's, it's a really good um, kind of micro piece of not the whole state, but a reflection of the state. Because I have right. down, I've, you know, agriculture, we've got suburbia, we've got a little bit of Aurora, enough to say that we're part of the second largest city in the state. So uh, we work across all those different areas. And to me, that's, that's exciting because it's, it's something I get to, uh, to try and, and, and help this group see this other group's point of view and see if we can't find a balance that makes it work for everybody without making everybody mad. Right. Um, and that's a challenge. It, it truly is because it's all about balance. People have Why different priorities. Why is it a challenge? Why is it? I, I, balance is, a, you know, we, one has to have balance as much as possible, but why is it a challenge? I think right now we've had a, a, a kind of a, we're at, at one of the higher points of polarization that we have, not only in our country, and that, that, that kind of flows down right. into our politics. When you put an R next to your name or a D next to your name, then some folks automatically make you, you know, uh, the opponent. I don't want to say the word enemy because I really don't like that word. Right. Um, on an issue. And sometimes they make it more personal than it needs to be. Um, I'll tell uh, my freshman legislators that come in, for the last two terms, I've been appointed to be the person from our caucus to uh, go through orientation about how to conduct yourself on the floor. I think that's a, 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 an important part of being a legislator is how you conduct yourself on the floor. Right. Okay. So if you're opposed to a bill, and I've been opposed to a lot of bills that have come through the General Assembly. I've also voted for more bills than I voted against. So let's just keep that part of the balance there as well. <laughs> the, the idea that um, I can be opposed to a bill that uh, representative, you know, anybody is, is on the board right now, yeah. that they're running for their constituencies. Someone came to their office and said, I think this is important enough for us to do this, or this was wrong and I want you to fix that. Talk about the policy. Don't talk about the person. Right. And it happens sometimes, and it shouldn't ever happen, in my opinion, because when we use the wrong tone, that sets the table for other people to kind of follow that example, and I don't want that to be the case. Well, Senator or Representative whoever, and I might be opposed on this bill, we might be co-sponsors of the next bill. Right. I might need his vote to be able to pass. I mean, I'm in the minority party. I have to have Democrat help to pass anything. Right. And most of my Democrat friends would prefer to have a bipartisan bill than one that's just run, you know, party line. Right. So starting with that part of the, and building a reputation that way, as someone you can work with, someone you can listen, I will listen to the bill and say, here's, here, here's where we're going to push back on your bill. Here's where we're going to oppose it. Here's the part you'd have to change. Right. Um, and be honest about those things before you get to a vote. So being able to communicate that way to me is very important so we don't get into those ultra-divisive situations. Right. And sometimes it's a mistake. I mean, a bill can be written or drafted poorly. The intent was this, but it came out kind of differently than that, or they didn't understand a consequence that I would recognize right away being a small business owner or being an IT person. You know, right. all those things have can have unintended consequences. And trying to solve those before we get into a battle on the floor or pitting interest group against interest group Absolutely. that we both like. So um, those are about communicating and about trying to be understanding, listening first, and then responding. Right. Whereas so much of the stuff in, in our soundbite world come out like, oh, that's a terrible idea. Oppose that guy forever. Exactly. That's 
you know, he may be your best friend next week on another important matter that, that could be way more important than the one we're just talking about. Right. So all those things come into the play of, of trying to be um, you know, maybe reasonable at the beginning and understand where you can help something and be improved. Not every bill is going to be a touchdown. Sometimes you want to get a first down and then try next year to improve that yet again. Um, I like how you put that. As you, right, try to get a first down with the I That, like a light just went off my head. That's yeah, I, I, football can explain a lot of the world for me. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, what's realistic? Yeah. I mean, I'm in the minority party, right? But I still get most of my, I shouldn't say most, some bills I can't get moved because there's just too many other roadblocks in the way. Right. Okay, and it takes more time for people to understand why I felt that bill was important. But there are other situations where we can find a little common ground right. and still get something accomplished. And that's, I, I, I take a lot of pride in that. I had the, the uh, opportunity to interview um, Sheriff Rod Hain, which was my second interview with him, and then uh, State's Attorney Jamie Mosher, which was our third at that time. But this is when the police reform bill was not yet passed. But anyway, there was a lot of consternation about it here in the community. So I had them on to explain and go through the bill. Most of the people who are upset about an issue of bill, unfortunately, people don't speak legalese. They can't tell what's going on in the bill. So a healthy dose of them learning, understanding it, knowing what it means first, could go, I believe, a long way to help kind of quell all of that angst that we see. I, I, and to your point, I, I think that civic education has to start from the ground level first. We really got to connect people with the state representatives like yourself, people like that, to, to teach as much as we possibly can what sure. people can expect out of these bills and what they cannot expect. Everything is not good. The stroke of a pen doesn't happen that way. Right. Now, that was, you brought a very interesting one because that was a, a, a difficult situation because we didn't get much time to reflect on that bill before we had to vote on it. Right. It was literally a lame duck session, uh, drops at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, come back in at 8 o'clock and start debating it and voting on it. Oof. That's, okay. you know, for as, as large and impactful a bill as that, is right. knowing full we're going to come back and, and do many trailer bills to fix things that were probably just drafted improperly because no, even even the legalese people don't always speak it correctly. Yeah, Jamie Monster said that she was like she was like I I'm reading it I can't understand it but she's like I got a problem with two sentences in this whole thing I'm like really like you know it, yeah, yeah. It, we can fix those two sentences right. that's, the, <laughs> that, that's the fluidity we get to deal with sometimes is like okay wait that's not totally permanent. We can go back to the bill and change that and improve that or correct it, whatever the situation is. Right. If we can get to some common ground on that and find that balance that makes the most sense. And that's, um, again, I try to put the, the, uh, the process and respect the process. Sometimes politically that doesn't get to happen. And right. that's it's frustrating because people come back and say, why didn't you ask for this? I'm like, I wasn't in the room. Yeah, okay. The bill went right to the floor. We didn't have a committee meeting. Out. We, didn't, we didn't even have a committee hearing on that bill. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I say that because uh, I'm the spokesman of the executive committee, which is kind of an obtuse name for a committee. You know, what are you executing? Sounds very nebulous, right? It <laughs> is nebulous because it's where all the, all the really difficult bills yeah. land there. Like Even the budget sometimes OCP. lands there. Like, <laughs> so so I, get to, I get to be usually the first one to debate all those. Okay. And uh, that one, we didn't even have a, a debate on that at the committee level. So... Not a real one, not in the final version. Right. So, but again, we're always gonna be frustrated with the process when it's when it's not perfect and thoughtful, and and you'll get a little say in it because that's we all want to have that um, as legislators. So, from a loss in 2010 mm-hmm. to JCAR, mm-hmm. heck of a story. What's next for? Uh, Mr. Keith Wheeler in the uh, 50th district. Well, the next thing on the list is we got veto session coming up in at least the last two uh, weeks of October. So we'll be down in Springfield. I know we have a JCAR meeting on the 19th. I believe that's the first day of veto session. 
Um, I understand that we'll be taking up the congressional redistricting will happen over those two weeks. Right. Um, that hasn't been the most transparent process either, um, but that's, uh, I would love us to, to revisit how we draw our congressional and district maps in Illinois going forward, but that's, that's been the subject of lots of discussions. We just haven't yes, changed our, our it yet. mayor released a statement on it not too long ago. Well, that was about the census. And the numbers. census has huge impact on that, yeah, true. Yeah, it was and, about the census. Yeah, did we get undercounted in Aurora? Good question, right. uh, important question. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's that part of what we have to, we'll take up in Springfield in the veto session. I'm told there's several other bills we're gonna try and do and get in front of some things from the spring. Uh, to try and have a lighter spring calendar is the intention from the Speaker and the Senate President that I've gotten so far. A lighter spring calendar? Yes. Okay. That means, what does that mean exactly? It means that we'll, we'll probably try and finish a little earlier than usual because the okay. primary got moved from April to the end of June. Okay. And uh, they don't necessarily want people voting in, in the middle of that particular uh, primary process. So that's... The, and I don't want to get that from the news. Well, I, I, I appreciate both those gentlemen very much. I've not had direct conversation with either one of them about that yet. Got it. All right. So uh, besides Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast, what do you uh, listen to on your uh, daily ground? Are you a music guy? Uh, sure. Got some journey plan at the office? What do we, what are we <laughs> So um, well, let's put it this way. Um, I love going to concerts. And we've gone across the board. My favorite band growing up and still is is U2, okay. who I've seen okay. around 40 times in concert. Right. So um, my wife's a big country person, so I go to a lot of country shows. We're going to go see uh, uh, Thomas Rhett in St. Louis this okay. weekend because that show got moved twice from COVID. So we're going to go. Uh, so we'll go see some live music uh, in the car. I spend most of the time on the phone. Right. Um, if I get to listen to a podcast, I try to keep up on, on my IT world I'm responsible for, so I do some of that that way. Um, but uh, I, I enjoy a lot of things. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, my go-to is usually a phone call to my wife when I get a chance because uh, I don't get to spend as much time with her as I'd like to. So I, I try to prioritize that. Well said, sir. Thank you. Um, the show ends on a positive note. What is your message uh, for the people of Aurora and the 50th District today? Okay, that's what a great question to, to end with. My message to the people of Aurora is I am so proud of what you've done in these last few years going through some real adversity. Um, the people of Aurora and the leadership in the city of Aurora, I really, really appreciate uh, how they've conducted themselves, how they've handled things. And I'll say how they've included uh, folks who want to be supportive in that process. And I'm one of those people. Um, so Mayor Irvin and I have a great relationship. I really like working with him. I really uh, love working with Chief Zeman. And now Chief Cross and I are going to get to know each yeah, other better. Right, yeah. So, uh, you know, while I, I didn't grow up in Aurora, I was born in Aurora, but I get to spend time more in Aurora now, uh, understanding Aurora's needs how uh, we can be helpful in Springfield to accommodate those things. But Aurora's on the upswing now. I feel great about Aurora. I really, really do. Um, and maybe part of that for me, I, I sort of a, a year as the board chairman for the Aurora Chamber of Commerce, okay. uh, which uh, gave me a little more insight into all the beautiful things that are happening. This is a few years ago now, but you can see how the, the groundwork had been laid and how it's, it's expanding and it's breathing and it's building. And so I'm really grateful to, to be a part of uh, the folks that get to represent Aurora and get to support Aurora. So I'm, I'm excited about Aurora. Oh, good stuff. All right. Well, on behalf of Good Morning Aurora, sir, we appreciate you coming in and taking some time to uh, sit and tell us about life as a state representative. Well, so I appreciate it. Much appreciated. I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you so much. Yep. Uh, all of you listeners out there, we appreciate uh, State Representative Keith Wheeler's time. Get to know him. Oh, actually, let me. Uh, how can people find out your office? You got Facebook and social yeah, media. Yeah, Facebook. There's a, a, a state representative Keith Wheeler page on Facebook. Uh, we have a repkeithwheeler.com as our uh, website on the state side, and you can call us at the office at, at 630-345-3464. Right. 
Love you guys. Have a great day out there. And tune in tomorrow for another great show. Easy.